0: Hello, and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell, and my guest in this episode is a real bundle of energy. Jade Green is a coach, speaker, and leadership expert, and there's a line on her website that I feel a real connection to. The fate of humanity rests on the shoulders of business owners. I'd add leaders to that and agree wholeheartedly. It's a statement that may sound a little too grand at first glance. But the reality is, it's true. With the amount of time, energy and attention we all give to our work, the nature of our workplace culture and the quality of our leadership can and does have a real impact on human lives. Jade's here to share her passion for helping humans thrive. In particular, I've asked Jade to talk us through her seven human needs of employees to ensure their productive and profitable. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jade Green. Jade Green, welcome to the Team Guru podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a little time coming and I'm very excited to be here.
0: We've had a couple of false starts, but here we are, Jade. We've got you relatively healthy and standing upright by the looks of it. That's nice for for those listening. Jade had a bad back last week. We couldn't get together. She didn't want to come to me without her usual sparkle, so she wanted her pain to go away, and I appreciate that, Jade. Hey, now, listen, having a look at you online, there is so much that you're doing. You have your finger in so many different pies. I'm interested in those pies and which ones are are the, the biggest ones, what makes up your time, And then I'm mainly interested, though, in your thoughts about the thread that links all of those seemingly different types of activities that you're into.
1: Awesome. Okay. We love all the tasty pies, uh, and it might be because I'm ADHD AF.
0: Oh, what's AF? ADHD. I know know what that is. What's AF? Oh, Uh, oh, okay. Getcha. Yeah, getcha. Really ADHD.
1: I'm going to try not to use the... Grew up with a single dad who was a sailor mercenary. Language on the on the show today. I'm going to try and put my little girl box on.
0: <laughs> Is that so I don't have to tick that expletive yeah, box? So you don't
1: have to put the explete box. I'm going to do my very best. I'm making zero promises. Huh. Okay. See so here we go. We find when we try to censor Jade, all things go pear shaped and the wheels fall off.
0: Right.
1: So where to start? Probably because you've you've probably seen that I do lots of different things. Because you might see that I do life coaching stuff and mindset stuff with mind valley and i've done a lot of work with those guys in terms of understanding the stages and states of consciousness and how we can use meditation to unlock peak performance and you know looking at our taking control of our own limiting beliefs and things like that can really unlock us so that people kind of go are you a life coach i'm like i hate being tarred with that brush because you know apparently all these kids came out at 21 and decided they were life coaches and tarnished it for the rest of us. I say I'm a life engineer is what I prefer to do. I used to be a headhunter and recruiter. So I spent 13 years in headhunting and recruitment. So you see me talk a lot around like candidate attraction, talent attraction, and that sort of stuff. And so that people still sometimes see me as the big time recruiter that I used to be. So that's one of the pies. I now, one of my key things is I love teaching businesses to recruit like the best recruiter ever so they never have to pay a recruiter again or that they can give the best recruiters the best information to do the best job for them. So that's one of the other little pies, It's it, but it all kind of wraps into what I do these days, which is specializing in being a business consultant for people and culture. The thread that runs along all of it is I believe we've got to put the whole human back into our human resources. So that's why there's the element of the life coach here. There's a bit of the, the different things going on there. There's my old business, pure business consulting background that ties back through in peak performance. How do we hack flow states and things like that? But it all just comes back to every employee we have is a human and how can we serve them best as their employers and how can we get the best out of them and help them live their best life?
0: I'm really drawn to that concept, and people who listen to this podcast regularly will know that we've talked about that a lot. i've I've talked about things like you know that what drives me to help people develop as leaders is because of profit and not be- to make people more effective and efficient at work. There's a lot of people who are doing that. No one needs me to do that as well. The thing that does drive me is that for everyone you lead, that is a human being who goes home to a family, to kids, to hobbies, to another life. And If we can think about that when we're leading people, then we're actually going to make the world a better place. I was drawn to a statement very early on your website, which says, the fate of humanity rests on the shoulders of business owners. And I was drawn to that like a magnet because it really speaks to that understanding that I've developed over my time as a podcaster about not just the importance of leadership in the workplace, but the importance of leadership for what it does to human lives.
1: I'm making for those who are only listening. I'm giving a little love heart sign right now. You are my people because even my company name is called Vare, and Vare means in Norwegian to be, and in Finnish, ripple. So it's to be the ripple, and it all centered around we go home from work. And if we've had a really bad day, if we're super stretched out, it's our energy ripple effects to our orbit, right? So to the little mini human that comes and pulls on dad's shirt and says, Can you throw the ball with me? Get snapped at. Can't you see I'm busy? And the memory and the belief system that's wrapped around that. From being in headhunting and recruitment, the interviews that I've seen of like relationships falling apart because of the stresses of work and not understanding this stuff. And so for me, it really is about that ripple effect that we have on the people that we spend the most time with outside of work, which drives me to help organizations treat their people better inside of work. So it is a big, bold statement to say, and, and some of my clients are like, well, that's a bit freaking scary to say the fate of humanity rests on our shoulders. But I really do believe that it's it's our responsibility with the people that we are custodians over the majority of their time, right? Our employees give us more time than they give their anyone else in the world. They spend more time at work than they do in any other individual area. Like, how egotistical is it of us to think that we don't owe them something for that besides a paycheck, right? If we look at, we were just talking about some of the things that happened in the last couple of years, the government's not going to fucking save us. Oh, sorry, there's your, your beat word. Tick.
0: Tick right? box. Right, tick,
1: tick the box, tick the box. Do you know what I mean? There is more businesses than there is governments. We have the power to pay with our wallets. We have the power to make change. We have the power to empower our people and to educate them and rise them up. There is... Too many people out there whinging and complaining about the, you know, there's no good people and everyone's broken and everyone's lazy and no one's got their shit together and blah, blah, blah. And we, we complain about this, but what are we doing about it? Like, if everyone looked at the workforce they have and go, oh, actually, if I just taught them the life skills that they don't get taught at school, if I just helped them learn how to communicate better. So when they go home, they've got better communication skills and have better relationships. Maybe, just maybe, they'll turn up to work, A, communicating better with their colleagues, but not carrying all of the burden and the stress and the drama that's happened outside of work because we've given them a life skill that they can use everywhere, right? This is how we can change humanity. Give them the gifts of basics. Do you know what I mean? Like if you look at your average knowledge worker that comes to work and grinds, we don't teach them how to deal with overwhelm, how to manage anxiety. How to sort through some of the other, you know, the, you know, if you've ever read *The Untethered Soul*, the, 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 the thoughts that are going along in the background. Like, we're not helping them to deal with that stuff, so that they can be peak performance at work. And just imagine what we can do for the state of our communities if we did.
0: I certainly agree with the central tenet to what you've said there. That as, as employers or even as leaders within an organisation, we have an obligation to keep in mind the fact that the people around us are human beings and they have a life. That's something that I feel very strongly about and and has driven at least the last few years of this podcast. Hey, Jade, the thing that of all that I read on your website and about you, I'm really drawn to this understanding of the seven human needs of employees to ensure they're productive and profitable. I'd love to talk about what those are, what place they have in a modern organization and and how they can be relevant to us as thoughtful and deliberate leaders. So you take it away and talk us through it, and I'll ask a whole bunch of naive questions on the way.
1: Amazing. So again, it's putting the human back in human resources, and people kind of go, "Ah, you know, it's not my job to make them happy and, you know, think that employees are just going to roll into work, slam down the roller door of disassociation, check their shit at the door and focus and just do their stuff. Well, no, that doesn't happen because cognitive resources get chewed up. And so I say happiness is the greatest hack to productivity and profitability. So for anyone that's questioning whether they should go human-centric, where they should think about these human needs, I can guarantee that your triple bottom line is going to increase if you actually pay attention to this stuff. So you're going to get a benefit, but I teach it so that I get the benefit of helping humanity be happier. Cool. (laughs) So if we look at it, I've gone through all the different courses, like the Mind Valley courses, the different business courses, consuming everything that I can on Brene Brown, all the stuff from the Flow Research Collective, like all of the thinking that sits behind these seven human needs comes from a basis of science and statistics and studies that back this up. And, you know, we've all heard of like Maslow's hierarchy. We've all heard Tony Robbins talk about the hierarchy of needs. What I've done is gone, okay, if we actually look at this from a culture perspective and how do we put our people into peak performance, what are the seven things that they need to be able to show up for you as an employer, the best as they end, but for me, so that they can live a more fulfilled life. So if we just look at the, if you were to imagine the the triangle, the pyramid of needs at the very baseline, we need well being. right? We need psychological safety. And the only way to do that is if our physical and mental wellness is taken care of, right? If we're hungry or we're wondering how we're going to feed our kids, how are you going to do your best creative work? If you're overweight and you're poisoning yourself with food that takes drains your energy and is making you ill and have disease in your body, how are you going to be in peak performance? You can't, right? So it's just, it seems to me so basic to help someone to understand how their food intake and how their physical well-being could step them up to be able to be more in peak performance. When we look at the mental health of people though, right, this is one of the biggest, I think I won't state the stats, I don't have it directly in front of me, but it was something like one in three people having, being a drain on an employer at the moment because of mental health. Like having to take time off, having not being able to be in peak performance because of mental health stuff. But we're not doing enough to help them with their mental health. What are the programs that we're doing to support them in that? So well-being is my the first baseline. Let's sort that out because you know if we don't have that foundation, we can't stack on top of it. How do we go to the next level? Again, I talked about psychological safety. When we feel psychologically safe, is when we're able to be vulnerable, and that's when we're able to be creative. That's when we're we'll able to be able to put our best ideas for it and we need to to do that you need to feel safe and you need to have trust how do we do that connection we're humans we're designed like the whole thing about this a human experience is around connection right so how do you create real connection real engagement not how's your kids it's I was giving the example with one of my clients this morning it's like how's Heidi and Jet how'd Jet go on the I know he got a peewee 50 how'd he go with that on the weekend like I care about you. You're seen. You're heard. You're real. Real connection.
0: So that's fantastic. So number one is well being. It's about psychological safety and physical wellness. And that psychological safety, the the tenets of that, are, are feeling connected and having a leader who comes to you and says, not just how are your kids, but how is Heidi and Jet? And I know that he just got a new motorbike. How's it going with that? That's a real connection with the people that you work with, and to have that coming from your leader or someone, someone you look up to in the organization is really powerful. We know stories about that type of connection are very powerful. The physical wellness, I have zero doubt about it, and I, I totally buy into the idea of being well and fit and healthy and eating well and resting and exercising make us happier and fulfilled. They lead us to present at the workplace in a more positive way. But, geez, it's getting dangerous when an employer starts to think about The physical wellness of the people that they lead, doesn't it? Is that a really difficult place for someone to step as a leader or a business owner into paying attention to commenting on trying to contribute to the physical wellness of someone who's in their world?
1: Great observation. And so this is where I say, this is how we design our cultures. So cultures aren't beanbags and ping pong tables, right? And they're certainly not pizza nights, but a pizza night could be a detractor. Like so if we're constantly doing things that are unhealthy as our rewards, we're layering. So we can make the choices, right? So with one of my clients, they found that every time we did a workshop in the afternoon, they like the, the team was like this, like depowered. No one can see me. I'm on video. They're depowering, right? They're like, you know, it's the 3 p.m. crash. And I said, because you didn't take my advice, I talked about what we were going to serve for lunch. And what we've served is deep-fried carbs, creamy pasta. So the options were deep-fried fish, yeah. deep-fried chips, pasta cabanera, yeah. like bread roll, like, and it was all these things. I'm like every single one of those things is going to make them go to sleep. Yeah. And you made that choice to serve that food because it was cheaper. So I challenge you that next time we do the workshop, do you want to go the cheaper option and not have them being able to pay attention and not be cognitively on load for the afternoon session or do you want to pay the extra 5 bucks ahead and have them firing
0: yeah that's a really good example and i was kind of playing devil's advocate there because you're right there are so many ways that we can give positive signals ordering the right type of food in a workshop environment is a really good start i often joke about the in any workplace i've ever been part of when it's someone's birthday or they're retiring or they're leaving or they've been promoted we bring in a plate of sugar and we all stand around a table full of sugar. That's our way of celebrating. And if the celebration goes to after work, then we go and drink alcohol and sit in an unhealthy kind of environment and eat bad food. It is really weird that we lean on those things to celebrate. And as you say, there's more positive messages that we can send an organization. And the you know some of the stuff that organizations do is great. Change rooms for cycling to work and a place to store your bike. That's a positive signal. The other positive signal we see in a lot of workplaces, fresh fruit is provided in the lunchroom. And, and again, a non-judgmental but very clearly positive signal to that. Fantastic. I love it. Number one is well-being.
1: Walking meetings. Just take you, instead of sitting down and doing another meeting in another meeting room, go for a walk.
0: There are so many options in that way. All right, great. Number one is well-being, And I've interrupted you a lot. What is number two? of our seven human needs?
1: Number two is actually connection, so separating it out. So that piece around the real connection, getting to know them as a human. The studies show, like the Gallup studies show, that people that say they have a best friend at work are seven times more engaged, and we all know engagement is the key right now, and see 81% less absenteeism because they say they have a best friend at work. What that comes down to is if you think about it, you don't want to let down someone that you care about. Right. If you feel connected and you see someone else as a human, if you don't do your part of the job, you're affecting how they do their job. Right. It really is about that feeling seen, heard, and having a level of friendship. If we go then to step three, the third human need, clarity and certainty. Right. This gives a sense of safety. Again, it it layers back into that psychological safety when we feel. Like we know what we're doing and what's expected of us. We are more empowered. We feel safer because we're removing VUCA. So volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity are the key things that cause us anxiety. And when we're in an anxious mind, we can't can't perform. So giving clarity and certainty helps remove the VUCA, helps us to be able to drop into present state. Once we know the bumpers, we're able to feel safe to take the right risks because we know what direction we're going in. Whether it's a half-day Energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organisation.
0: So connection is number two, and, and I love that, is, is getting to know people around you as human. And you gave us some stats about people who have a best friend at work. They're much more likely to be engaged and, uh, and, and not stay away absent or sick or whatever it might be. And then that it makes a huge amount of sense. Number three is clarity and certainty, a sense of psychological safety, knowing your place in the organization, knowing your role, um, feeling secure in that. The number two, connection. Getting to know people as a human, having a best friend at work, it all makes perfect sense. What can we do as leaders and business owners in that space? How can we encourage that kind of real connection with people in the workplace? And has our move to a lot of online work or at least a mixture of online in the office, has that made it harder to maintain those real connections with other human beings in the workplace?
1: No, it's made people lazy. (laughs) And given them excuses and permissions. So, I do the majority of my stuff is done in front of this screen, talking through a microphone because my clients are spread everywhere and we've got distributed workforces for those teams as well. But there is no reason why you can't run your Zoom meetings the way you run an in person meeting. You just need to have the awareness. So, I'm shaking a little box here. I use some cards from the best self company. There's a deck called Icebreakers. I have a various group of them. My clients all know that we have them and I'll start every meeting with asking someone in the team to pick a color. So actually, let's, let's do it right now. You can pick from gray, green, red, slate, blue, or yellow. What would you like?
0: I love gray. Isn't that sad? Gray. I love gloomy gray skies. My kids always ask me, what's your favorite color, Dad? And I say gray and it disappoints them every time.
1: Do you know what? I'm going to have to say that gray is one of my favorite colors to the point that my sister comes through my house and she's like, This looks like a bachelor pad. We need to get rid of all the grey and the blue. Great. And she put pink stuff in.
0: All right. Hit me with a grey card. Are we doing an icebreaker here?
1: We're actually using the wordsmith deck, which is what I use for journaling, but it works the same principle. Tell me when.
0: Great. Now.
1: Okay. Oh, What do you want your legacy to be?
0: Oh, jeez. It's too early in the day for that. Okay. My legacy. Wow. As a human being or as a worker, I want my legacy to be – leaving behind a, a happy, healthy, and energized family, the next generation. and That's an answer I wouldn't have given 10 years ago, but once you have kids, and I have three of them, and they become so much a big part of your world, I would be happy if I achieve nothing else but left behind three happy, well-adjusted, positive kids.
1: Imagine everyone had that lens. If everyone actually had that intention with their children, which most people do not, the state of the world would be a much better place. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. So
0: Did I pass? Pass.
1: So I always ask these questions, like questions like this, right? Because now we're getting to like imagine the, the, the connection and the level you get to know someone, the sharing, the humanizing when you do this. And as a leader, I always share back. So even when I go into my clients, I walk into a boardroom They've got one of my decks they call the, one of my clients calls it the PTSD box. They're like, oh shit, she's got the PTSD box because we always, it's the deeper deck and we go deeper with each other. And I always share as well so that they, I'm never going to expect them to do something that I wouldn't do as well. And it changes the state of everything. We're starting, so there's another little bait and switch on this one though, right? I've now engaged at the beginning of a meeting someone's brain to think at something outside of what they originally intended. So I've engaged creativity. I've forced them into action and making them think through things. I've opened up vulnerability and I've created a human connection, which then allows all of the problem solving and all of the other shit to waterfall down faster.
0: I can see that. I love those type of activities. And that's why facilitators start every workshop with some kind of get to know you activity um it's a, it's a fluffy way to start. It's a soft landing, I guess, for a lot of people, but it does open those connections. And even in that example that we just did then, if we're sitting in a meeting, uh, we're sitting amongst colleagues, and some people know me well, some people not so well, but they hear me talk about that, my vision of a legacy, that just could create a connection with someone who feels similarly about their legacy, someone who I don't know very well. And all of a sudden, there's a new thing that we have in common, and that person might come up to me later and, and say Hey, I would have given the same answer and there's a new conversation and there's a new relationship. I see how that works. I think it's it's really valuable in and, and is that the type of thing that leaders can think to do to create those connections with people in their workplace, to sort of put them in those positions where they're sharing information they might not normally share, just to open it up, see where it goes and 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 watch the the flowers blossom.
1: Yeah. So one of the things I've a a similar example of yours with the kids. I ran that with a a client's group and someone said they were really struggling with their kids and then they became kind of buddies for each other to like, they had teenagers going through a similar situation and they were able to share advice. They shared podcasts to each other. Do you mean? And now like they're helping each other and they're more likely to want to help each other at work as well. Again, use your powers for good, not evil, but I'm just trying to say to employers why it's not just a fluffy exercise. It will pay dividends for you as well because when you care about someone on that level, you don't want to let them down. You want to see them succeed. You're not going to drop the ball. And we can really see the raising of it. I do all of my own team meetings. We start with the deck. The girls, the girls will be like, okay, which deck are we using today? Someone else might go, oh, I bought a card or I've got something to ask. And we look forward to getting to know each other a lot better.
0: And it has its own life. That that activity develops its own life within a group and they start to develop a deeper interest. I love it. I value those type of things. So we've talked about one, well-being. That's number two, connection. You mentioned number three, clarity and certainty. And again, what's my role as a business owner or a leader in, in an organization in giving someone clarity and certainty. Maybe tell me, what are the bad habits that we have within organizations that don't give people clarity and certainty that we should just be aware of?
1: Here's my favorite. I need to hire a administration manager. Yep, that's what I need. I need, need an administration manager. So I'm going to jump on the internet and I'm going to find a job description that says administration manager. And then I'm going to post that as a list of demands, pretending to be a job advertisement on a job board. Then someone's going to apply And then I'm going to hire them. I'm going to give them that job description and they're going to set to work thinking that's their job. And then I'm going to be really disappointed when they're not meeting my expectations and they're going to be all frazzled because you're telling me to do something, but that's not in my job description. And no one's taught me that, huh? Because we were too lazy to sit down and paint what done looks like. We didn't really think through what is the job that I need doing? What are the markers of success? How do I paint this for someone so that they can have clarity and certainty over this is the expectations, this is how I'm going to measure whether you're doing a good job and this is what I need you to learn to be able to do that. So you can see when someone, like when we're just lazy and we're kind of working from two different things, the owner is thinking one thing, they're not using all of their words to communicate it but they're judging the person on what they're thinking. The person's doing what they think they should be done because that's what's on paper paper but they're feeling this unease because the boss doesn't seem really happy with them. They feel like they're letting them down. Something feels a bit yucky, but they're not sure what. It's just a mess.
0: So being really clear about role expectations.
1: Role expectations. I use uh, Tours of Duty. So there's a book called The Alliance by Reid Hoffman and, oh my gosh, I can't remember his name, but he's the other co-founder of LinkedIn, Lee somebody. And they talk about creating Tours of Duty and getting really specific in a short timeframe of what you're actually doing, what's the purpose of the role and how you will be measured, and then a reflection piece around that to see how we're going in relation to that. So I love the tour of duty analogy because it's like if this is the company purpose and mission, how are you going to play your part to move us towards that? Like at the end of the day, can you sit down and go, I did what needed to be done today to move me forward towards the purpose of my role. And when someone feels like they have that certainty, they are empowered. They are able to step up and it feels good. And there's none of this yucky feeling.
0: Yeah, and no surprises and things left unsaid and and confusion about role and what it means to achieve well in my role. And so whether it's the tour of duty approach that you want to take like Jade has talked about, just being super clear about what is expected of this role so as we say there are no surprises.
1: Yeah, I lean on the Brene Brown saying of paint done. So don't just tell them what done is, paint it in all of the colors. Yeah. Really crystal clear.
0: Yeah, that is a nice collection of words. So we're talking through Jade's seven human needs in the workplace. We've talked about number one is well-being, number two is connection, number three is clarity and certainty. Take me to number four, Jade. Significance.
1: So if we look at any of the hierarchies, so you look at Maslow's and you look at Tony Robbins significance always plays a piece right all of the things that we've talked about is layering to the significance using someone's child's name their partner's name remembering what their personal goals are remembering what hobbies they have is making them feel significant you see me as a human it's not like a standard throwaway how's your kids how's your weekend like i will say to one of uh, my clients team members i'm like did you get out on the ducati this weekend scott or were you mountain biking and the difference in him In comparison to me saying,
0: how was your
1: weekend? weekend?" Yeah. He just comes to life. You care about me, right? The key thing about significance, right, is we want to know that we matter as a human. We want to know that our, like, why would we care about the quality of our work if we don't know it matters? That our piece, this is why, again, the tours of duty or the clarity around the role and how that affects the bigger picture matters so much. My job, the thing that I do today, actually helps push the business forward towards our goals because if I do this, it results in that. My role matters. What I do matter, who I am matters. When we matter, we care more. If we don't matter to someone, we can just be complacent. Why? Like You don't care about me. Why the hell should I care about you?
0: I love the word that you're using there, matter, because I was going to ask you, how is this different to number two, connection, and where you talked about getting to know other people as a human being. You talked about the importance of having a best friend at work. So, as the way that your hierarchy works, significance is the number four. It's building on the connections that we've created at the second layer and adding what to it. What is, what is the difference between connection and significance?
1: So, the basic level of this could be just recognizing and catching people do, doing things good, letting them know how what they did contributed to our bigger picture, to our goal. So, we talk about like an example with an admin person. You know, they had the admin role. They felt like, and they were kind of treated by some of the other team members before I came in, as the admin girl. Oh, she just does the admin stuff. But then when I broke it down and said, do you know what? Those frontline workers cannot do their job every day if you don't do your things. You clear the hurdles for them. The purpose of your role is to clear the hurdles for our frontline to be able to get in and deliver every single day. They know what it's like when they turn up and the workbooks aren't ready for the students. It's a nightmare. They're not ready to be in their best – all right, they're not ready. If the projector's not set up, they're behind the eight ball. Your job matters. You put them in peak performance. Without you, they can't shine. And when I told them all that and I said, remember that day that they were off sick and you had to do all the shit yourself? Were you a superstar that day? Oh, no, I was like running around like a blue-ass fly and no good, right? Helping the people to see where their contribution contributes to the bigger picture catching them doing the right thing, giving them a pat on the back. Always be looking to recognize, like, that was really awesome what you just did then, giving feedback fast, positive feedback.
0: For an organization to help every individual see the role they play in the whole, it's Leadership 101, it's a healthy organization 101, but it is and it does feel like one of those things that can fall off our agenda really quickly when things become busy isn't it? It's that sort of thing that we all know inherently is very important, but it lacks priority as soon as we're under the pump.
1: Yeah. So the thing I'd always say there is, are you willing to deal with the fallout? So we might cut corners because we're too busy to do this stuff now, but how much time is it going to cost you if that person quits? How much time is it going to cost you if they don't do their job properly or they just don't turn up
0: to their shift? This kind of this significance, it speaks to all of those stories we hear about great CEOs and leaders of the past who who treat the person sweeping the corridor in exactly the same way as they treat the most senior members of the organization, ensuring everyone understands how their role fits with the whole. I, I can't remember the details, but someone who used to help people understand how everything they did at NASA helped put people in space. And it was giving them that understanding of of significance, helping them to feel a really important part of the organization. I admire that in leaders. All right. So that's the fourth significance. What's number five, Jade?
1: Challenge. Because if you're not challenged, you get complacent, right? Organizations don't thrive if the individuals aren't growing, but the people get bored. And if we get bored, we check out. We quietly quit. We start looking at other things. We're not, not interested. We fall flat. So there's a real, a very interesting statistic which I find very surprising. It comes from a company called the Flow Research Collective. Flow state being the known state of peak performance, where we get five, 500% more productivity when we're in flow state. So it's a great state to be in, right? And it, the only way to get to it is to have the right challenge to skills ratio. You might surprise me, but do you have any guess? of what percentage the challenge-to-skill ratio might be?
0: I have no idea at all. I would only embarrass myself if I tried.
1: (laughs) It's actually really surprising. It's tiny. It's a 4% challenge ratio. So we want to have 96% the skill to do the job, the confidence that we can do do the job, and just a 4% challenge to really kick us into that flow state, to push us, to give us enough edge. When we go too far and it's too much of a challenge, then, you know, if it seems too hard.
0: Overwhelmed and disengaged.
1: Overwhelmed, disengaged, flight, flight, freeze, like freak out. We don't want to do that. It's about really finding that sweet spot. But it's always about giving people the opportunity to step up because when when we're constantly, we know it's the momentum of growth. It's stopping the stagnation. It's helping them to push forward. And remember, we're talking here about the seven human needs of peak performance employees. The ones that don't want the challenge. The ones that don't want all this stuff, they're not the ones you want on your team anyway.
0: So again, that comes to the art of being a leader and a business owner is knowing exactly when to inject a challenge to someone. It's like, hey, you're doing this job really well. How about we lift the standard a little bit in this way or extend you a little bit in this way or read in someone that actually they need a period here where they're working on the stuff that they're good at so they feel really good about themselves and, and get some confidence back or whatever it might be. And again, just like number four with significance, I reckon this one, remembering to challenge people at the right time can be one of those things that can fall to the wayside in a busy organization where we've just got to get stuff done and got to get stuff delivered. It's tempting to let every contributor sort of just sit in their area of expertise and let's continue to churn this out.
1: Yeah. One of the other things that's getting a bit scary right now is you've probably heard of quiet quitting. There's also quiet hiring. And I've seen this a lot over my years in, in recruitment anyway, but where we just start loading people up with extra duties, like they're really good at this, they're, they're a doer, they get shit done, like they've got a good attitude. So we just pile stuff on rather than hiring someone else or or we couldn't find someone. So we just, we're constantly just loading them up and we're giving them stuff outside of their genius. Mm. And when we do that and we over-challenge them or we put them outside of their genius, you completely destroy their ability to be productive and you'll end up with people leaving. On you as well. So you've just got to, yeah, you've got to be really aware that you don't load the people that have been your peak performance with stuff that's outside of their genius as well, because you can completely tank them. And this is where people turn around and go, "I don't know what happened. They must have had some sort of personal drama because they were great, and then all of a sudden they're shit."
0: Yeah, yeah, it's not it's certainly not, not a problem here at the workplace. They must have brought it in no. from home. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, but you know what it's like. Like if you if you go to work every day and it's just the same old, same old beige. Like, and it's too easy, Gray. you're going to slip into complacency.
0: All right. So, number five was challenge and uh, well understood. And, and we, that's something that we all intuitively grasp, but don't always do that well. What's number six, Jade?
1: Future vision. When we run out of future, we run out of drive. So, two things here. I love to like loop it back to Simon Sinek, you know, the start with why. Like, why are they here? Sell the dream of where the business is going so they can see the vision for the company so they're helping. Again, they know how they're contributing, how they're significant. They know what they do every day is pushing us towards reaching a goal. So we need to be able to see momentum to keep motivation. So you want to have the future vision that's linked to the company, that is real, that's not too far away. And this is why I have a a purpose, mission and obsession Structure that I work with my clients. Like, we have the big picture, which we're all pumped about, but we can lose motivation if it's too big. And we break it down into an obsession that's a bite size maybe it's a one year or a two year or three year goal that's really numerical that we can tick off. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm moving forward towards that. And every day I can see how what I do moves us. But also, if people as humans run out of vision for themselves outside of work and where they're going, they slip into depression. They slip into drinking, they slip into bad behaviors, all these things that detract from their ability to show up as a peak performance human for you at work. So, I, I do things with uh, our teams called the Bliscipline Blueprint. So, that's the discipline to live your bliss. And we go through and we do goal setting in the core areas of their life. And we have all the teams share that with each other because they might go, oh, one of the examples and how I just went to Machu Picchu last year, I did this with a team previously when I was working with another lady. We both wanted to go to Machu Picchu. We both wanted to trek it. We didn't want to do it alone. And she actually joined Remote Year. She was over there and she rang me and she's like, if you can get your ass to Peru in the next week, there's one spot left on our trip. Would you like to come? I'm like, I'm going to move heaven and earth. And got, I made the decision on the Thursday and the following Thursday I flew out. Right. I was always working towards the goal. I had that as a dream. I had money aside, ready to do it. So when our team members know what other people's goals are, triathlons, you know, just hiking, I'm pointing at Mount Warning here. Like I've had teams say, I really want to hike Mount Warning, but I need to work on my fitness to do it. I don't know if I could do it. And someone else is like, oh, we can go walking every afternoon and like, let's do it together in six months.
0: Do you think it's one of these essential things that? Successful or or at least motivated and enthusiastic people they are driven by something it might be professional, it might be in the workplace, but it just might be in any part of their life. I kind of intuitively get the sense that people i 'm drawn to people who have energy and are in some way impressive are always driven by something and it might change through their life because it, you know it might be a marathon that i've circled on the calendar next year or it might be hiking a fantastic mountain or getting to base camp at Everest or whatever it might be. But people who are successful, have some color about them, are always driven by something in particular. Is that a fair observation?
1: It is a fair observation. And the thing I would add to that, though, is some people have just never been given the opportunity to dream. They've come from backgrounds where they get beaten down or they've not seen people achieve or they kind of are told to stay in their station. and. They've never been given the tools or the support to actually step up into that, and you can see some amazing potential get unlocked when you teach your team members how to do this and then support them through the process.
0: Teach them how to dream. And when you're doing this, do you see a real line between sort of workplace visions for myself as a as an individual, or workplace visions for us as a team and an organisation? And those things outside work, does it matter where the drive is or what the goal is, or does it just matter that you've got one?
1: My short answer on that would be it just matters that you've got one. Because for some people, depending on their psychological safety and physiological safety level at that point in time, depending on their salary and their bills and everything like that, the thing that might drive them is just getting their paycheck to pay those bills to put their kids through the the sport that they want them to be able to do and that's the thing that drives them every day and as long as you can remind them and help them with that and if that's what makes them show up and give their best, then fabulous. Other people are going to be hooked to the impact that the business wants to have and if it's a really big impact and purpose that the company has and it's about pushing humanity forward or something and they're so bored into that, that might be the thing and they don't care about the money because they can see that that's going to be the ripple effect they're going to have and the legacy they might leave by helping. So, it's a convoluted answer to that finding something that matters to that person and helping them to achieve it but i would always say that you need to have an inspiring and purposeful company vision that they can see how they contribute to and i i say as a leader if you want to get the best out of your people and i fate of humanity i also feel it's our responsibility help those people live better more fulfilled lives outside of work they're going to be happier and more fulfilled for you inside of work
0: All right. And lucky last, future vision was number six. What is number seven, Jade? Happiness. Happiness. (laughs) Just that little one, hey?
1: Just that tiny little mini one. Happiness is the greatest hack to productivity and profitability, in my opinion. Let me tell you why, though. I believe that happiness is the state of being present in the now, right? When we're happy, we can stay focused on what we're doing. We're not ruminating and being depressed about things that have happened in the past We're not racing forward in anxiety about shit that's going to happen in the future when brains are not so distracted. We're actually able to be here now. And if you want someone to be able to do the best possible job that they can, that's what you want, right? You want them to be as focused as they can as much as possible. Okay. The University of Warwick says happy employees are 12% more productive. Imagine you have a team of 100 and every single one of that 100 is 12% more productive every single day.
0: Yeah, incredible numbers.
1: Right? It it just makes sense to the bottom line. But we send people home, happiness spreads, smiles spread. They're contagious. Now your person who may have had a hard day, work might have been tough, shit might have got hard, but because they have a sense that are more happy, they're going home with a smile, kid comes in, tugs on the pant leg, Dad, can we play footy? Smile. Sorry, son, I can't do it right now. I need to finish this. You mean heaps to me. If you can just give me half an hour, we'll go throw that ball. What's the difference to that child?
0: Yeah, huge difference. You matter to me.
1: You matter. You're significant, right? But that that energy, they say that your vibe attracts your tribe, blah, blah, right? But honestly, I believe in energy and resonance. You want to lift the energy. You want to lift the productivity. You want to lift the pace of a place. Put some smiles on the dials.
0: I really like the fact that you mentioned being present there as part of being happy and A number of times recently, I've been reminded just of the importance of presence, and it's almost become one of those things that we hear so often. It's such an integral, fundamental part to success and happiness that it can wash over us a little bit because we hear it so often. But in our busy world where we're connected and where our attention is being sucked away in so many different directions, if we have that discipline within ourselves to truly be present. In each conversation we're having, each moment we're living, each task we're doing, it can have a huge impact on our level of happiness and contentedness and the quality of the relationships with the people that we have around us. Just being present, if we could all master that one thing, the world would be a much happier place,
1: wouldn't it? And so, if you go back through that hierarchy and you think about how do we get to happiness, like you can't be happy when you're freaking out about paying your bills and you know, Someone's going to repossess my house and I can't put gas in the car and someone's sick and blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I mean? Like, We've got to work at these base level foundations to raise up from there.
0: All right, Jade. Now, we have quickly run out of time. I love your seven human needs. I love the way they work together and the way that you describe them. If people listening to this have really bought into what you're saying, what are three things that you can leave them with, whether they could be repeated bits of wisdom for what we've just discussed or summaries of such? What are those three things I can remember over the next few days so I remember Jade Green?
1: Ah, oh, wow, goodness. So the things that I would, would love people to remember is to focus on the whole human. Do one-on-ones and focus on the, who they are as a human being and ask the deeper questions and, and make note of it. See that they're significant. Remember the child's name. Remember the partner's name. Remember the hobbies. Remember the brand of motorcycle, right? Do one-on-ones. And not one-on-ones about performance. One-on-ones about connection. So would be my first one. Second one, paint done. Use all of the words. Especially as visionaries, we think faster than we speak. And we think that people have, all the thoughts that we've thought someone's picked up by osmosis as we've walked past, not happening. Take the time to really paint what done looks like and tell them what's expected, right? You and they will thank, be thankful for it. And then the third thing is, I reference a lot of books, Ben Horowitz's book, What You Do Is Who You Are. So what you do as a leader is who your business is as a culture. So what are you doing every single day to turn up and radiate the energy and to give out what you want reflected back? So every morning step into your third space, set your intention, decide who you want to be as a leader before you walk in and show up because no no one's going to show up better than you. You've got to set the benchmark.
0: That is a fabulous place to leave it, Jade. I love your three nuggets of wisdom. I love your seven human needs. Thank you so much for joining me on the Team Guru Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun.
0: And that was Jade Green. I told you she's a real bundle of energy. I loved her seven human needs for employees. Think of them as a pyramid. Number one, the bottom level is well being, psychological and physical wellness. Number two, level one, the bottom level is well being, psychological safety and physical wellness. Number two is connection getting to know the people you work with as humans, to actually know them. We heard the stats about people who have a best friend at work and how much more productive and engaged they are. Number three is clarity and certainty, ensuring that we as leaders give those around us a sense of safety. A big part of that is clarity of expectation in a role so there are no surprises, no great unspoken Number four is significance. Help everyone feel significant to know that they matter. Their role matters and they matter as a person. Helping people see the contribution they make to the big picture is an important element of this for leaders. Number five is challenge. If you're not challenged, you can't thrive. Effective leaders need to feel and see the right moments and opportunities to extend the people in their role so they have an opportunity to step up while feeling secure about their ability to contribute. Number six is future vision. Create a picture of yourself, the team, your organization in the future. Here, Jade talked about the importance of having goals to achieve something, whether it's a hike up a mountain or a professional accomplishment. Encouraging the people around us to strive is an important part of leadership. And lucky last, number seven, right up the top of our pyramid is happiness. Jade says, happiness is the greatest hack to productivity and profit. Having happy people within the organization, we can never overestimate the role, being present plays in our overall feeling of happiness. And Jane's three nuggets of wisdom number one, focus on whole humans. Number two, paint done. Use all the words, tell them what's expected. And number three, what you do is who you are. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Jade on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it, along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts, on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. And don't forget about my new project, yourstorypod.com.au. And get in touch if there's someone you care about who should tell their life story. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.